Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 186 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Adam, this is our last podcast episode of 2017. I know, the last one of the year. It's it, The year has flown by. I know. It's crazy. We were just looking at books that we did a year ago for this particular episode, and it's just like, oh, yeah, I remember talking about that book. It doesn't feel like 12 months ago, but... Oh, seriously, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm both, you know... Uh, both excited to move on to a new year. You know, I've, some good things happen, some not great things happen in 2017. So I'm ready to I'm ready to move on and, and see see what's happening next. Um, also, I'm back. Today's my first day back from my week off of vacation. Well, staycation. I stayed staycation. At, I stayed at home and watched all the movies and all of the TV shows and ate all the food. So I'm also ready to detox in the beginning of 2018. I yeah, think. that's usually how that works. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm not the only person that will do that. So, um, what are we doing today? Today, um, as our longtime listeners know, uh, we've actually been doing this for a year now, but it is our crazy. <laughs> it's our monthly picks list. So we are going to go through our picks for January 2018 of books we're excited to read or want to give a shout out to, and all that fun stuff. Yes, uh, so we'll do our list. As always, Jill and I don't show each other our lists ahead of time, but I feel like, especially this one, there's a bunch of books that one of us knew the other one was going to talk about. Um, I'm almost worried that there were books that I didn't put on because I thought you might talk about, yeah. <laughs> or books you didn't put on because you thought I would talk about, but it's not on my list. <laughs> like getting in our own heads too much with this now. I'm a little worried about that, so yeah. we'll see. I See, you're thinking that I told you before we started recording, I think there's going to be some overlap, but... Um, whereas December is a little bit of a slower month for publishers and releasing new books. January, they really, like, publishers do an awesome job kicking off the new year with a bunch of books. So we have a ton on our list. In fact, probably won't get all of them on the list and we'll just put them in the show notes, some additional ones. Um, if you want to let us know what books you're excited about or what books you've been reading, uh, you can find us at Pro Book Nerds on both Twitter and Instagram, or you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Jill, thanks for handling all of our social media while I was out. You're welcome. I very much enjoyed not looking at anything, so that was fun. Um, also, because we're going to be doing epi- uh, we're going to be doing books that come out throughout the month, and they're also probably at least a few of them are going to be very, very popular. We know that there will be wait lists for them. So in keeping with um, the recommendation that we had from a listener a while back, we're going to give you guys a couple of kind of like PBN classics. And so what we're going to do this time for books that you can read now while you're waiting is we're actually going to each pull a book from the January books of last year's episode. So Technically this year. Technically this year, because <laughs> right now it is still 2017. Very good point. Um, so these books we talked about going into January of 2017, and you might have had to wait uh, a long time. So do you want 
to pick one out or you want me to go first? I can go first. All right, go for um, it. Mine would be The Girl Before by J.P. Delaney. Going with the whole tradition of thriller suspense with girl in the title. Uh, the Girl Before is about two women um, in separate timelines looking to buy this house or looking to rent this home that's very uh, minimalist and it's like big glass um, home with all this lots of crazy rules um, and so you sort of have to follow along because you're not sure where the timelines intersect or meet up um, but it, it was really addicting I you know it's one of those thrillers that you I think I just like read it in mm-hmm. a couple sittings because it just got, got totally sucked into it so yeah. yeah it was The Girl Before by J.P. Delaney and then mine that came out in January of this year 2017 is 4321 by Paul I think it's Auster A-U-S-T-E-R a lot of people came on the podcast early in the year and talked about it but um it's really unique so what it is is it's this novel about this person who was born archibald isaac ferguson and he's born he's the one and only child of rose and stanley ferguson and then what happens is you see ferguson's life takes place four times simultaneously but on four independent paths so you follow along basically all of these different lives that Uh, he leads and you see all of the different ways that he interacts with people and each time he uh, falls under the magnificent spell of this woman Amy um, which is just a fun way of saying he falls in love with this woman each time uh, but each relationship is completely different so it's just a really unique way of looking at how you know things can change throughout your life and it was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize so it, it was named best a uh, best book of the year by like a you know Washington Post, New York Times, all those fun places, NPR. So a lot of people thought it was really popular, and everyone around our office seemed to really like it mm-hmm. as well. So um, again, those two, it's very likely that your library will have copies of it, and it's also very likely that those copies will now be available because the book's been out a year. So uh, with that in mind, we can get into our books of this january if you would like sure all right do you want to go first you want me to i can go first go for it so i'm actually gonna start with our dear friend marie benedict yeah i have (laughs) i had this on my list too but i just was covering all of our bases so uh marie benedict you all know she's been on a couple times as the author of the other einstein she has a new book out coming in january called i'm gonna do this can i remember what she taught us i'm not gonna say because i know i'm gonna mess it up so go ahead Carnegie. I think that's right. I think that's right. She Carnegie. Gave, she, Carnegie mm-hmm. Right. Um, she gives this whole lesson about how to properly pronounce Carnegie's last name. So Carnegie's Maid is, um, you know, in sort of the style of the other Einstein, the woman behind the man. And in this case, it's, you know, Andrew Carnegie's maid um, who, who works for him and his household. And, you know, it's interesting. We had this great discussion when she was here about the book because, you know, he was very influential in the early libraries and introducing public libraries to the world, mm-hmm. to the United States in particular. You know, even to this day, there are still Carnegie libraries around the United States. We have a couple here in, in Cleveland. Um, so, yeah, this is about his maid and sort of the influence she had um, and... I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, this is... Um, we'll have to have Marie back on. I was literally just going to say, because <laughs> the, the first one I'm going to talk about is also a dear friend. Um, and I, I feel like 
we don't have it scheduled yet, but I, so Jill and I both have like Marie's personal email. We do. So we we'll I'm friends with her on Facebook. Yeah, you. We actually we both are. So don't you hair flip at me? <laughs> um, we'll probably have her back on. She is such a delight. Oh, she's person. wonderful. Um, yeah, I can't wait to read that. Speaking of books, why well, I. I can't say I can't wait to read this because I read it six months ago and I've been waiting to talk about this for six months. Speaking of dear friends of our show, Before I Let Go by Marie Nykamp. Uh, Marie is the crazy popular New York Times bestselling author of This Is Where It Ends. Um, as Jill mentioned a few times on Twitter last week, uh, she also was the first ever author that came on the podcast with us way back in, ep- in episode four. Episode four. Um, she's been on multiple times since then to talk about this is where it ends because it was also a big library read selection from Overdrive. Um, and now, finally, she has a new book coming out called Before I Let Go. Um, I literally, I read it six months ago and it broke my heart and in all the best ways possible. So there's these two best friends, Corey and Kira. Uh, they were inseparable. They live in this town called Lost Creek, Alaska. Corey moves away um, and makes a promise to Kira that they're going to stay close throughout you know, the really long dark winters that happens in Alaska and then talks about, you know, when the, when she's going to come back and, you know, how they'll, they'll catch up and everything. Um, so just days before Corey is going to return, Kira actually dies. Uh, Corey is devastated and confused and the entire community in Lost Creek um, really doesn't want to talk about what happened to her and um, they keep pushing Corey away like she's a stranger even though she lived there all of her lives. Um, so Corey knows something is wrong and then she kind of Un- tries to uncover what is going on in this town and it's it's kind of like a mystery and it, like I said it's, it's heartbreaking but in the, the best way possible Marie in addition to being someone that I genuinely call a friend is like my favorite young adult author in the entire world um, she's coming to Cleveland uh, so we will have her on the podcast but more importantly and this isn't for you guys this is for Jill and I and we're gonna get to like actually hang out with Marie and we're gonna go get dinner with her and, and all those good things so one of the my favorite things about having this podcast, in addition to getting to share books with people, is like I can count on multiple hands now the amount of authors that I get to call friends. And Marika is, is one of them, and she mm-hmm. was the first. So I, this book actually comes out January 2nd, so very soon. Yeah. I'm so excited. Did I ever give you a copy of this to read? No. All right, I can't, I suppose. <laughs> you can go with like your You're like, I guess I'll give it to you. I guess. Whatever. <laughs> Uh, I have, this will be my undoing by Morgan Jenkins. From one of the fiercest critics writing today, Morgan Jenkins' highly anticipated collection of linked essays interweaves her incisive commentary on pop culture, feminism, black history, misogyny, and racism with her own experiences um, to confront the very real challenges of being a black woman today. Perfect for fans of Roxanne Gay's Bad Feminist, Rebecca Solnit's Men Explain Things to Me, and Chimanamda Negociadici's We Should All Be Feminists. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Morgan is um, very popular in just commentary and online thoughts. And so this is her her essays about race and gender. And she, you know, like, I, I like the, the connection to Bad Feminist. Because if you read Bad Feminist, you know, Roxanne Gay goes on this whole thing about Scrabble intermixed with all of this stuff about feminism and sexual abuse and so um morgan jenkins is kind of the same way writing about sailor moon but also (laughs) 
So Christina like, will love this. But also, like, the, you know, like, black female sexuality. So it's just a very wide range from mm-hmm. a very distinct voice. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, my next one, I think it's pronounced Namen. Ah, yes. <laughs> I have no idea how to pronounce it either. Nick Harkaway. So I'm glad you took that one first. <laughs> All right. So, guys... I, you know that we're bad at pronouncing things, but I feel like we're allowed to have a pass on this one because the spelling of this, the name of this book is G N O M O N. So I think it's Namen. I think it's Namen. Um, so first off, I want to just point out I have a bone to pick with Knopf, which is the um, the publisher. They put the subjects as both fantasy and science fiction, and that's I hate when people do both. I know. It, it's so rare for a book to be both fantasy and science fiction, though. So. Um, and plus, people who read science fiction or fantasy always complain that they get lopped together. Anyway, um, the in the world of Naman, citizens are constantly observed, and democracy has reached a pinnacle of transparency. Every action is seen, every word is recorded, and the system has access to its citizens' thoughts and memories. So basically, um, it kind of feels like initially it feels like the circle by Dave Eggers to me a little bit in the sense that like big brother is there. And, um, you know, because of that, uh, there is no crime, uh, except for the fact that a citizen ends up getting killed during an interrogation for something. Um, and the issue is their system here isn't supposed to make mistakes. So they're trying to figure out what happened. And so they have this person who comes in and is trying to find out and inspect what happens and what they realize is the person who ended up dying, as they're looking into all of their thoughts and all of their kind of neural, neural recordings of their interrogation, they have all these different characters going on in their brain. So it's kind of like um, like Split, that movie about mm-hmm. like having multiple personalities and trying to figure out what is going on and where these personalities came from. And it just it sounds like it will be... Uh, very in depth, and I'm excited to, to check this out. So that's I think Naman. That's how I was going to pronounce it. Okay, by Nick Harkaway. All right, I have the Lost Plot by Genevieve Cogman. I've talked about the Invisible Library series before because I love it so much. So it is about a uh, librarian named Irene. She works for this sort of magical library where their job is to kind of go into parallel universes essentially and get these rare books and bring them back to the invisible library which is sort of behind everything um and this one is set in 1920s new york oh man talk to, you, talk to your buddy fiona fiona davis uh, about this book prohibition yeah prohibition is in force fedoras flapper dresses and tommy guns are in fashion and injury is afoot Sorry, I just love Tommy guns are in fashion. What a fun sentence. Intrepid librarians Irene and Kai find themselves caught in the middle of a dragon political contest. And it seems a young librarian has become tangled in this conflict. And even if they can't extricate him, there could be a serious repercussions for the mysterious library. And as the balance of power across mighty factions hangs in the balance, this could even trigger war. Sounds really good. I love that series. And as soon as I saw it, and the cover is magnificent so art deco perfect and yeah i'm very excited yeah um my next one is a book that jill actually got me a copy of uh, a while back because she's a very good friend uh iron gold by pierce brown uh, i am not shy about telling everyone how much i love the red rising series as does my wife uh in fact this was one of those things where we saw the red rising series had three books and the first one came out like alex discovered it before it even came out and so we felt very much like 
we're first like we're you know, it's like discovering a new musician before everyone else learns about it um and since then uh pierce has gone on to be wildly successful with all three of the books of the red rising series and this one iron gold is a book that's still set in the same uh universe and it still features darrow as the main character but it's a decade after everything that took place in the red rising saga and they're I don't want to tell you what happens at the end of the Red Rising Saga in case you aren't wanting to read it, but it seems like you might not need to to read these. Uh, but basically, there's a whole lot of stuff going on, and Darrow's struggling with all of the repercussions from everything that happened in the Red Rising series. And it also sounds like it, it expands on a lot of ancillary characters in the universe, kind of like when the Star Wars expanded universe started expanding, and you've mm-hmm. got stories about other people. Um, I'm literally starting to read it tonight because I had to finish up some other stuff first. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited. And I also have been over the holidays. I follow Pierce Brown on Instagram and like his holidays with his family was just the most like they're on this palatial farm and he had like all these goats and horses and all stuff. Like he was having a blast. So, of course. Yeah. All right. That's Iron Gold by Pierce Brown. All right. I have Grist Mill Road by Christopher J. Yates. I got an advanced reader copy of this several months ago. I had read his first book, Black Chalk, um, two years ago when it first came over to the U.S. And I just was blown away. So Grist Mill Road um, is about a trio of children. There was two boys and a girl. Um, and in 1982... Something happens. There's a tragedy that involves the three of them, and they're sort of bound together by this really, really awful crime. And then, uh, twenty six later, twenty six years later, they're adults, and their lives start to intersect, and a lot of secrets come out that nobody was really anticipating. So, um, it was really well done, really good. It's again, I, I read a lot of thrillers, um, and this one definitely had moments of surprise for me mm-hmm. um which i think is always a good thing as someone who reads a lot of that genre there were parts i did not see coming so it's chris mill road by christopher j yates nice uh, my next one is the job of the wasp by colin Winnett. um while i'm talking about this you should look up the cover it's really cool uh so what this is is it's described as a coming of age tale a gothic ghost story and a murder mystery all at once which I'm in on all three of those things. Uh, A new arrival at an isolated school for orphan boys quickly comes to realize there's something wrong with his new home. He's hearing chilling whispers in the night. His troubled classmates are violent and hostile. And the headmaster sends cryptic messages begging his new charge to confess. As the new boy learns to survive on the edges of the impolite society, he starts to unravel a mystery at the school's dark heart. And that's when the corpses start turning up. How did I miss this book? I don't know, because I <laughs> assumed it was on both of our lists. Um, I am super in... I, I feel like, actually, I got so into horror in October that it, like, never really left me. It's so, like, every other book I've been reading or listening to since, basically, Halloween time has been kind of uh, horror-adjacent, and I love, like, gothic ghost stories. I, I'm all in on this. And again, the cover just looks super cool. So, that's The Job of the Wasp by Colin Winnett. Don't mind me, I'm just putting it on hold right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. I'm going to do the, uh, the Graves of Fine and Private Place by Alan Bradley. This is the next book in the Flavia Deleuze series, which if you have not read and you like mysteries, it is 
delightful. Um, Flavia is 12 years old and she is very precocious. She's uh, way into science. She has, she and her family live in this sort of um, English estate. It's set in the, I think, post-war. Um, they live in this English estate where her one relative had been a mad scientist. And so Flavia just kind of goes up and plays with his Bunsen burners and beakers <laughs> and just tells <laughs> whatever. Um, so, but no, it's just like, I mean, it's it's in the tradition of cozy mystery, uh, you know, the traditional English Agatha Christie style type of things. Um, and she's just this, I can't talk enough about how just fabulous Flavia is as a character. So I'm, I'm always looking forward to his books. They're fun. And again, she's just delightful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my next one is Fools and Mortals by Bernard Cornwell. Uh, do you have this one? I do not. Nice. Okay. So what this is, is a novel that tells the story of the first production of A Midsummer's Night Dream, but it's told by his, by William Shakespeare's estranged younger brother. So Richard Shakespeare is the younger brother of William Shakespeare, and he is kind of a down on his luck actor. Um, He survives simply by having a beautiful face, being a petty thief, and having a silver tongue. Uh, And as William's star rises, Richard's one-time gratitude is souring, and he is sorely tempted to abandon family loyalty. So I'm not shy about how much I I don't really love (laughs) Shakespeare. It's something where I can appreciate how incredible his works are. Um, I just don't love reading his, his plays and things like that. But the idea of learning about, you know, here, reading a novel about how one of his plays came about, that is something I'm all, I'm all for. So, um, especially it being, it's historical fiction, so it's not, you know, there wasn't some lost manuscript that someone's like, hey, by the way, I have William Shakespeare's brother's manuscript here. But uh, still super, yeah, I know, still super excited about this. That's Fools and Mortals by Bernard Cornwell. I think there are rumors of a lost play of Shakespeare's. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of rumors around Shakespeare. You know, like the whole, he wasn't one person one. No, no, no. Well, for sure that. But there's, like, specifically rumors about a a lost Shakespeare play. Anyway, um, Frankenstein in Baghdad. I saw saw this. I didn't grab it because I thought you might. Ahmed Sadawi. From the rubble-strewn streets of U.S.-occupied Baghdad, uh, Haji, a scavenger and an oddball fixture at a local cafe, collects human body parts and stitches them together to create a corpse his goal he claims is for the government to recognize the parts as people and give them proper burial but when the corpse goes missing a wave of eerie murder sweeps the city and reports stream in of a horrendous looking criminal who though shot cannot be killed how how do you oh i pronounced that wrong the first time sorry i can't read things properly. <laughs> Hadi soon realizes he's created a monster, one that needs a human flesh to survive. First from guilt, uh, first from the guilty, and then from anyone in its path. An extraordinary achievement, and one's horrific and blackly humorous. Frankenstein in Baghdad captures the surreal reality of contemporary Baghdad. I kind of love the idea of taking, you know, a very classic story like Frankenstein and um, setting it and using it as commentary on. A political, you know, just politics and society and culture in Baghdad. Yeah. Or really anywhere. But, yeah. Um, my next one is The Woman in the Window by A.J. Finn. Uh, so this is 
described as a great book for readers of uh, Gillian Flynn and Tana French. <laughs> so, like everybody. Um, but what it is is basically a Hitchcockian thriller about an agoraphobic woman who believes she witnessed a crime in a neighboring house. So it's basically a novel that's like Rear Window, which I absolutely love Rear Window. And in fact, before I made this list this morning, uh, one of our local theaters in Cleveland, capital, is mm. doing a retail. They're they're doing screenings of some Hitchcock films. <gasps> yeah. And I literally tweeted this morning, I was like, man, I would watch Rear Window every day if given the chance. And um, an author, speaking of author friends, uh, who follows me, uh, David Samuel Levinson, uh, he wrote, tell me how this ends well. He and I were talking back and forth about how great uh, Rear Window is. And then, as fate would have it, this book, The Woman in the Window, like literally fell onto my list. And I was like, oh, that's that's a little serendipity. So um, I love all things. Alfred Hitchcock and again Rear Window might be my favorite of his mm. movies and so The Woman in the Window sounds very much in line with that um, so I'm excited I think it's going to be very good and I have a feeling that um, it'll be very very popular the the uh, like the the buzz quotes from people are literally from Stephen King Ruth Ware Louise Penny and Gillian Flynn so I mean <laughs> ridiculous and the cover is really cool too. It's like a it's a fun take on what you normally see for thriller and suspense novels. Yes, agreed. Yeah, I like Rear Window, but it's not my favorite. Do you have a Do you know what your favorite would be? It would probably have to be Psycho. Although my dad totally ruined it for me. He like ruined the ending. Mm-hmm. He has a habit of doing that, not really realizing he's doing that. Um, but he's like, you would, he did it with Planet of the Apes, too. He's like, you would love Planet of the Apes. It has this great twist ending. And then he, like, tells me the ending. Oh, I'm man. like, Dad, that... Thanks, Dad. I did. That's really funny. <laughs> so he did that with, yeah, Psycho. Um, I like Rope, just because I think the idea rope. of Rope... Yeah. The the concept of Rope is just fascinating to me and just how it's filmed. Um, even if... I don't, you know, like it looks one way. I think there were some cheats somewhere in there, but well, yeah, it it does. You wouldn't like you have to kind of mm-hmm. look for them. So I'm also I Vertigo is up there oh, for yeah. me too. It just good. these the books, really, these movies, yeah, these movies are like this is everything years by old. Hitchcock. Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock made movies like literally like 70 years ago, and they still hold up, and it's it's ridiculous how well they do. Yeah, um, good stuff. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Tangent. Moving on. Um, Red clocks. By Lenny Zumas. I'm going to read the pop sugar description for this because this is how I came across the book and I think it really sums it up better than I could. Red Clocks is the book you've been waiting for in the wake of The Handmaid's Tale and it's every bit as good as one you might... Every bit as good as one might hope. In a near future in which abortion is illegal and embryos have rights, five women in the same town attempt to navigate motherhood in the best way they know how. But when their doctor, who happens to live in the woods and maybe some sort of spiritual being, is put on trial, everything is thrown into jeopardy and all five women must band together in order to survive. I had that in, like, my list of stuff to talk about if you didn't talk about it, but I knew pretty... <laughs> I was pretty like, sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Jill's going to put that on there. Exactly. Yeah, um, that does sound really good. Um my next one is The Immortalists by Chloe Benjamin. Almost, but then I was like, no, I bet Adam's on the uh-huh. bad list. Yeah. So, basically, what this story encapsulates is, if you knew the date of your death, how would you live your life? 
1969 in New York City, uh, there is this family, the Gold family, and there's four children on the cusp of kind of becoming self-aware and being, you know, knowing about what how life is going to work for them. And they learn through a fortune teller the day of each of their deaths. They learn when they're going to die. And so then it just plays out from there about, you know, how they live their lives and the, the different stories that, that follow along them. So um, this struck a chord with me because I, over my holiday break, I read um, the young adult book, They Both Die at the End, um, by Adam Silvera, I think. And I was just thinking a lot about the whole, like, living your life if you know when it's going to end kind of a thing. And then, again, this fell into my lap. So yeah. um, The Immortalist by Chloe Benjamin. I'm excited to read that. So my next book is A State of Freedom by Neil Mukherjee. In this stunning novel, prize-winning author rusts open the central defining events of our century, displacement and migration. Five characters in very different circumstances, from a domestic cook in Mumbai to a vagrant and his dancing bear to a girl who escapes terror in her home village for a new life in the city, find out the meanings of dislocation and the desire for more. Set in contemporary India and moving between the reality of this world and the shadow of another, this novel of multiple narratives delivers a devastating and haunting exploration of the unquenchable human urge to strive for a different life. So, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I'm excited about that one as well. Um, My next one is The Hazel Wood by Melissa Albert. Uh, This is described as young adult folklore, which already I'm all in for. Um, And so... The way that this book works is that uh, there's a 17-year-old girl, Alice, and her mother, and they've spent most of their life on the road. Um, something about their family that is very unique, though, is Alice's grandmother is this reclusive author, and she wrote this cult classic uh, book of pitch-dark fairy tales. Um, she has this estate, which is called the Hazel Wood, and she dies alone there, again, being reclusive, that tends to happen. Um, And so they go to the Hazelwood, and Alice's mother gets uh, kidnapped by someone who claims to be from the lands that Alice's grandmother created in these fairy tales. And so Alice has to um, connect with all of these cult fans of the books and figure out what's really happening. And I'm not sure if it is very much kind of like Alice in wonderland yeah. sort of, or if it is going to be more realistic. But either way, it sounds really interesting to me, um, and the cover is fantastic. So um, that's The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert. That sounds really good. Yeah, I, I'm excited about it. I have The English Wife by Lauren Willig. Um, Lauren Willig has written a popular... Um, sort of spy series, uh, English spy series, um, that's sort of with the, the secret history of the pink carnation, but this is not related to that, but for those fans of that series, <laughs> um, this is, uh, the English wife, Annabelle and Bayard Van Duvel live in a charmed life in New York. He's a scion of an old Knickerbocker family. She grew up in a Tudor house in England. They had a fairy tale romance in London. They have a three-year-old twins on whom they dote, and he's recreated her family home on the banks of the Hudson and named it Illyria. Sure. Not the city that we know. <laughs> uh-huh, that's, yeah, when you said it, I was, I was like, like, there's a city by us called yeah, Illyria. Yeah, 
Uh, anyway, yes, there are rumors that she's having an affair with the architect, but rumors are rumors and people will gossip. But then her husband is found dead with a knife in his chest on the night of their 12th night ball. Annabelle goes missing, presumed drowned, and the papers go mad. Um, Bay's sister Janie forms an unlikely alliance with a reporter to try and uncover the truth, convinced that he would never have killed his wife, that it must be a third party. But the more she learned about her brother and his wife, the more everything she thought she knew about them starts to unravel. Nice. Yeah. Um, so my next one is one that I thought you might talk about or maybe you're still going to, so I'll, I'll bring it up now. So last year, well, 2017, so in this year, technically, as we're recording right now, uh, our buddy Lee Bardugo wrote a Wonder Woman book called Warbringer, and it's the first of DC's, they're making these DC icon books, where basically they're making young adult graphic novels around their most popular uh, comic book characters. And the second one on that list is coming out in January, and it's Did Batman. I? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I saw that. But. Batman Nightwalker, and it's by Marie Lou. So. I. Yeah. So after reading Warcross, which we both did. Marie is officially one of those people who I will read anything she writes. And when I got when I saw that it's a you know story about Batman, I got pretty excited. So Batman's stories have been told over and over and over, but it's Marie Lou, so I'm willing to, to dive into this one. Sure. So, um, it's called Batman Nightwalker. Um, and again, it's it's going to be a young adult graphic novel. I love that there's all these women doing this. That, exactly. That makes me super happy. And I love that they started with Wonder Woman. And with Lee and then Marie. Just There's like a lot of them coming out though mm-hmm. that are being written by. Yeah. That's like the new thing now. Yeah, they we I'm only, not complaining. Oh, I know. I, we only have two of them in our system. I was hoping I could see all the other ones, but yeah. So that is that's Batman Nightwalker by the wonderful Marie Lou. Maybe mm-hmm. if we shower her with enough praise, she'll come on the show. Marie Lou, please come talk to us. Yes. Um this is my last one. Mm-hmm. Every- I, I only have one more as well. Okay. Everything here is beautiful by M- Mira T. Lee. Cannot talk today. Everything Here is Beautiful by Mira Teeley. <laughs> Two sisters, Miranda, the older responsible one, always her younger sister's protector. Lucia, the headstrong, unpredictable one, whose impulses are huge and often life-changing. When their mother dies and Lucia starts hearing voices, it is Miranda who must find a way to reach her sister. Lucia impetuously plows ahead, marrying a big-hearted older man only to leave him. Suddenly to have a babe with a young Latino immigrant. She moves her new family from the States to Ecuador and back again. But the bitter constant is that she is, in fact, mentally ill. She lives her life on a grand scale until inevitably she crashes to earth. Miranda leaves her own self-contained life in Switzerland to rescue her sister again. But only Lucia can decide whether she wants to be saved. The bonds of sisterly devotion stretch across oceans. But what does it take to break them? Um, It just sounds like a really good story mm-hmm. um sisters I always i'm a sister just the two of us so yeah <laughs> it always kind of gets me yeah <laughs> um my last one is called robots versus fairies um stay with me <laughs> so it's a collection of fantasy and science fiction short stories so it's an anthology of these stories that challenges authors to throw down the gauntlet in an epic genre battle and demands an answer to the age-old question, who is more awesome, robots or fairies? Um, it just sounds like a lot of fun, and I love the idea of taking two classic character types that you've seen mm-hmm. throughout countless different places um, and like putting them up against each other. So... The list of people that are that are a part of this 
um, Alyssa Wong, John Scalzi, um, Jonathan Mayberry, uh, Max Gladstone. There's a lot of really big names here, and <laughs> the description ends with, Robots vs. Fairies will take you on a glitter bomb journey of a techno-fantasy mashup across genres. So, um, I have no idea what to expect in it, but the cover's really fun, the name of it got my attention, and then when I learned, read more about it, I was like, oh yeah, this is something I would definitely check out. <laughs> so, again, I have no idea, this one was like a soft recommendation, I have no idea if it's gonna be good, but I think I'm gonna love it, so. Robots vs. Fairies! It's a good way to kick off the new year. Um, that's all yours, right? You said? That's all mine. Okay, I have a, a few more, but I'm just going to put them in the show notes. Um, so that's a reason for you guys to click into our show notes to get some additional book recommendations. Um, we'll also have a list of these on overdrive.com, and I'm sure Overdrive, um, for the social media stuff, will we'll tweet out all these things as well. Um, anything else that you can think of? Well, you know, I know you got a book for Christmas, and I got a book for Christmas. Yeah. We can talk about it yeah. if you want. Go for it. Okay. Well, I was going to have you go first because I don't have it pulled up. Anyway, um, as I put you on the spot like that, I isn't can, that I can, pull, I can talk no, about no, mine. No, no, no. It's fine. I got it. I got it. Are you sure I have mine up right now? <laughs> then go ahead. Okay. So, um, this really cool thing that I was, mar- I was married into, my father-in-law, um, he buys and sells comic book art for his living. Um, and I don't mean like little tiny things but like if you walk into his house he has these like priceless pieces of well not priceless because people buy them from him um he has this incredible artwork all around his house um he's been going to comic-con for like 35 years as a vendor where he goes and he sells stuff um to like people who are you know kind of no name just like people like us all the way up to like he sold pieces to john crier and meatloaf and all sorts of crazy stuff um so because of that every year for christmas my wife and i get gifted truly incredible pieces of art um like we have there's stuff this is like gonna sound like a humble brag but it's not meant to like there are pieces of art in our house that are probably worth more than like anything we have and it's just like i almost don't want them in our house because like he'll give us these things that he just got from an from an artist as like a favor and like he's not paying for them he's like i want you guys to have this like we have these wonderful ink drawings of all the universal movie monsters it's just great stuff Anyway, I also, he knows how much I love books, obviously. So he always finds me really unique and cool books about artwork. So that's all to say, he got me this book called Indie, which is the story of the Apache Wars. It's written by Ethan Hawke, and the illustrator is Greg Ruth. So it is, it was a a bestseller in 2016. Um, It takes place in the year 1872 uh, across the Apache nations, which was torn up torn apart by decades of war and what it is is a visual depiction with some writing very much it's a very much a graphic novel all about the apache wars that happened um through all you know everything from geronimo and all sorts of crazy stuff so i haven't read any of it yet but i was flipping through and it's truly incredible so shout out to my father-in-law for literally finding stuff that i would even like literary stuff that i would know nothing about so that was me gushing about all the cool comic book stuff that I get to see because my father-in-law has the world's f- most fun job. There you go. Um, so uh, I got actually from my future sister-in-law Phasma by um, uh, Delilah S. Dawson. I need more coffee. Like I you have that. no idea. I see that. Never scheduling this time again. For yeah. <laughs> 
Jill, schedule, Jill scheduled us at, a little nine, early. at 9 a.m. At 9 a.m. This is a little recording. earlier than we usually do it, but it's one of those days, and so i <laughs> never doing that again. Talk about your book. <laughs> right. Phasma. So if you watch the new Star Wars, uh, Force Awakens, or The Last Jedi, you would know Phasma. She is the silver, tall um, stormtrooper. Uh, very, she's all chrome. She's played by Gwendolyn Christie, who yes, plays Branna of Tarth, who I love. So, um, not only did I get the book, the funny thing is, I had put it on hold literally Christmas morning. I needed a book, and I was like, oh man, I haven't really read that yet. And I've it's gotten good reviews, I'm gonna put it on hold. And then, um, I got it for Christmas. And along with the book, she bought me the <laughs> Funko Pop character. So, it's a cool. bobblehead. <laughs> it's a bobblehead. So, Phasma's a bobblehead. So, you know, if you follow us on social media, you know that I have lots of Batgirls uh, um, pop figures. I have lots of pop figures in general, but all my Batgirl ones are here. The rest are all at the house. But now I have Phasma joining Batgirl. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Yeah. If you guys got any fun literary stuff for for the holidays or really just any time, if you want to send us fun literary things on social media, it, it makes our day seeing that kind of stuff. Um, last thing, uh, we mentioned this a few times, and you guys are responding, which is so awesome. Uh, we're giving away two devices in February for our 200th episode. They are two Kobo Aura Ones, thanks to our sister company, Kobo. Uh, we are owned by the same company, so we are literally sister companies. Uh, and so all you have to do is follow us on Twitter or Instagram. And because Jill and I always talk about our cats and dogs, respectively, uh, if you are a cat person or a dog person, just tag us in a photo of your dogs or your cats or someone else's dogs and cats that you think are cute. Um, We'll pick one cat winner and one dog winner in February on our 200th episode. But uh, maybe this is just a way for us to see fun, adorable animals. True story. Um, Anything else you can think of we should be talking about? No, I feel like we need to shut this down right now before I start. I feel you. Okay. All right. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you enjoy all of these wonderful picks. Let us know what you're excited about. And that's all from us on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.